You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us once again here at NapaBroadcasting.com. This year we're in the midst of a city council election. Sometimes changes in the electeds or even the election of a new mayor changes any city. Sometimes small, but sometimes even more so. But one thing that always seems to impact a city, perhaps because of its importance and our hierarchy of what's critical to us, is any change in the police or the police chief. We're about to experience that here in Napa as longtime police chief Steve Potter retires. After 37-plus years in law enforcement, most of them spent right here in Napa. There is no question that Steve Potter's retirement will change the city, if only for the loss of one of our most trusted voices and pillars of calm no matter what happens. It is my pleasure to once again welcome Chief Steve Potter to Napa Broadcasting. Chief, thanks so much for being here. Jeff, thanks for having me, and your words are much too kind, but, well, but I really appreciate but it. But you have been here a long time, and you are one of the, the calm voices in uh, all the crises we've had, some of them big, some of them small. It's, it's always good to know that there's that consistency and reassurance. I think that's important to a city. It, it, it is important, and with a quality of life that, that Napa wants to have for all of its citizens, it's keeping that calm. Uh, keeping people moving in a positive direction is always uh, forefront in my mind. Talk a little bit about, in your view, not just in Napa, but, I mean, you see changes going on everywhere else, how the importance of the role of a police chief has changed over all the years that, that you've been in the business, and it has really become somebody that is that is much more involved in the, in the life and the fabric of, of every community, it seems. So I have been very fortunate in my career to have uh, had leaders and, and supervisors and coworkers who were both very positive role models, and then I've had some other ones that I was able to learn uh, from from other examples as well. So um, I the 37 years ago when I started, the focus was very much on enforcement, and it was more of a reactionary. Uh, it was responding to instead of trying to plan and anticipate the changes. And the technology was almost non-existent in the, the field mm-hmm. at that point, as well as in society. So uh, it was huge. The, the changes have been huge. And now people in Napa, as well as across the nation, what they want is to be more involved with and engaged with their police departments. We call it more of a policing model mm-hmm. where we not only do we address law enforcement, but we also address quality of life issues. And we are on the fringes of some of the uh, social issues that are out there trying to respect and protect everybody's constitutional rights. So it, it's much broader than it was in the past. And with that, uh, and, and we've talked at work too, is Napa is changing. It's, it, Back in the uh, 1980s, was largely blue collar. You had uh, you were coming off of Kaiser Steel and Basalt mm-hmm. and Mare Island, and the uh, growth of the city has been more in the uh, education, more educated, affluent. So we're in a transitional period, and with that transitional period, have been a change in expectations, and we try to keep up with the expectations. Good management staff, good people hired in the department. And I think we've been very successful. And how do you balance or do you talk about 
when you and your colleagues talk about how that balance works and how it works with respect to, to tourism and those changes in the city on the one hand, which is continuing to grow, and still the needs of the residents of the city? So our, our core obligation, our core desire is to please the people who live here. And to do that, we really need to be uh, connected with them, we need to be trusted by them, and we need to be a part of their lives. And by a part of their lives, I don't mean the person who is the disciplinarian <laughs> or the person who seeks out trouble or creates issues for them. But it, it's to, if you watch our or keep an eye on our Facebook page, we try to do a real balance between enforcement activities as well as the engagement that our officers have. Today they're doing a special Olympics fundraiser down at uh, Buttercream Bakery. And I have a lot of officers down there who involve, who are involved in different causes and different nonprofits. And it's all geared back at taking care of the community. So now I'm going to talk in a big circle, and I'm going to forget where your question was to begin with. But uh, addressing the, the uh, tourists, the downtown core is is frequented by both locals and tourists down there, which is something that we did not have in the early 1980s. Uh, I started 81 full-time at the Sheriff's Department. 87, I came over to the police department. And if you, those that remember downtown at that point, remember it as uh, um, sparsely visited by locals right. <laughs> and uh, and so we created as locals and as a lifelong person I feel comfortable saying this is we created a lot of the change that needed to take place down there because we weren't supporting our local businesses to the level that we should so our approach now with the police department is is we support our locals we support our local uh, chamber of commerce members our local businesses and we take care of the tourists who are down there as well. Everybody wants a safe and secure environment, whether you're visiting the community or whether you're living in the community. What does it change in terms of what the way police have to be trained today? All these changes in terms of their involvement in the community that you're talking about. So it starts with who you select for the positions and who you try to recruit. And we oftentimes we're, op we're operating a couple people down, a couple people short in our staffing, but it's because we're really looking for those high quality individuals who are, that we're a fit for them and they're a fit for our community as well. And then the training, when I started uh, 81, I went to the academy. It was three months long. Now it's five and a half months long. So that initial training is uh, has really been boosted for the better. It's a much more, law enforcement is much more uh, professionalized in the United States now than it was in the past. Um, then we get into the we have uh, 24 hours of continuing professional training that we have to do every 24 hour or every 24 months. But the way that we've structured our shifts at the police department, we actually do all of our officers get up to 60 hours per year. Uh, and with that, you see changes in the mental health system in California. You see, and, and you'll see that frequently in the homeless population and the drug and alcohol changes that have taken place in California. You see that largely in the homeless, um, as well as other areas of the community. But uh, what we have done is, and when I came on as chief, I made a promise that we would do the crisis intervention training for our officers to improve our responses to mental health 
related calls. Those calls are increasing. So every one of our field officers, with the exception of a couple new ones who are still in training, uh, every one of them have been to a crisis intervention training. Instead of relying on a small group of people who may not be working, uh, we have our entire department that has uh, been taught the skills to create space, slow things down, and use time to our advantage, and, and we have much more uh, positive outcomes for that. So the, the training, to, to more, probably more, a little more specific to answer for you, is the training needs, because of societal changes, are way up. Right. And trying to keep up with that can be a challenge, but we're very fortunate that our council supports the professionalism of the department, and we have a, a fairly sizable training budget to keep people uh, moving forward and, and looking into the future. What's changed in terms of interface with other police departments, the sheriff's department, and even agencies outside of Napa County? Because so much is, is regional these days, and there's so many people moving about among in the county and also in and out of the county. A lot more interaction between different agencies. Uh, there's, you know, some of it was driven by uh, terrorist events in, in the past, uh, but more than that is the surrounding counties work together. We get together, we train together uh, at once or twice a year, every couple years. Uh, but Napa County, the strength, just by the the distribution of the population and by the, we're considered a smaller, more rural mm -hmm. county in the Bay Area. So at 140,000 people, your population, your any one department can't handle all that work by themselves. We rely heavily on each other and we support each other. We have monthly meetings between the management groups, the, the uh, department heads for the different agencies, and we're, we're always discussing what's going on, what's affecting us, and how we can make things better. When you think about manpower needs and requirements, there's 140,000 people there, but come the weekends, there's a lot more, I mean, with, with the visitors that we were talking about before. Yes. So there, there's a, a bigger need created certain times. Yeah. In our staffing deployments, uh, how we staff what the, by hour of the day and day of the week is based on when we see increases uh, call uh, into the 911 center and increases in the, the population. Three o'clock in the morning in the wintertime, <laughs> you don't need as many people working <laughs> right. as you do. Uh, mid-afternoon or five o'clock in the evening on a weekday right or on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> yeah right. so. talk a little bit about how the nature of, of crime has changed I mean go back you were talking about that period in the, in the 80s and, and early 90s what were the issues then what are the issues today so at that point we had a lot of domestic violence incidents mm -hmm. we're basically a, a bedroom community serving the the greater Bay Area uh, in a lot of cases, there's a lot more work here now with the hotels downtown and the, the uh, food industry and the restaurants and wineries, the tasting rooms coming to downtown. But uh, at that point, so in the past, we had a lot of domestic violence. We had some drugs. Uh, in the 90s, we had uh, some an uptick in the gang violence. Today, we're, we're seeing, we still see quite a bit of, too much domestic violence. Uh, in one case, is too much in where we come from. But uh, the drugs, I will say, post Prop 47, mm -hmm. uh, have really 
they, they have that has really gone up through the roof. Uh, methamphetamine is, in throughout California is more accessible, it's stronger, and it's cheaper than it's ever been. And that's having a tremendous impact on the users and then a system that uh, has, we've reduced the severity of it. The severity used to be kind of the hammer to get people mm-hmm. into treatment. They don't go to treatment now or not as frequently. So you're seeing a lot, our, our citizens here and our right. visitors see a lot more behavior that they really don't like. And a lot of that is, uh, is drug-induced mm-hmm. behaviors. So, Talking about the homeless issue and, and, and how much of an issue it is here, certainly we know that in some of our neighboring Bay Area communities, it is a gigantic problem. And it's, it's sizable here. Uh, it was very good to see the city and the county uh, collaborate a couple years ago when they uh, came together and they hired a homeless services manager to oversee the entire system. They have moved to a new nonprofit to provide homeless services abode. Uh, at the And during that period of time, we had gone through the change at the federal level of sheltering first and then trying to work people into housing to housing first and then uh, trying to provide the services and um, the mental health, the drug and alcohol, the life coaching that needs to take place for people to be um, successful. But we still have a sizable number that's out in the uh, in, in town and uh, they're much more visible now. They're much more visible because they choose to be more visible and also because there's a lot of vegetation that's been removed throughout the city through mm. along the river that now when you walk along the river trail, you see the blue tarps and you see uh, the people walking back and forth to their, their uh, we'll call them residents, <laughs> uh, to their tents that in the past people didn't see. So right. it's a visible group, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits that are out there trying to provide services, abodes, trying to connect them with housing. We still have our own housing or our homeless outreach worker at the city. Uh, county was kind enough to put a 20-hour-a-week um, mental health drug and alcohol specialist in our department. So we try to address, as people are coming on the radar, we're starting to see them. We're trying to get in touch with them as quick as possible and connect them with either abode or with other services so that we don't end up with uh, them in another homeless situation. After you retire, what are you going to miss most about this job? What am I going to – actually, I am going to miss the uh, interaction with people of all walks of life in this community. Um, I've born and raised here, as I said earlier, right. so I have a lot of friends. I currently go to the grocery store. We just had an exchange student who stayed mm-hmm. with us for 10 months, and after about two months, she told me she wasn't going to go to the grocery store with me anymore because it takes too long. <laughs> and it was just because every aisle I, I can – strike up a conversation with somebody and answer their questions. Um, So I I really think that um, interacting with people and trying to help them solve problems. uh, But I do have some offers of different jobs that are out there, too. So we'll see where life takes me. And you came to this job having, as you said, grown up here and and really been here for, for virtually your whole life. We have a new police chief coming in who is going to be new to the community. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about those challenges, not necessarily with respect to him, but for any chief coming into a community from a distant place. 
So the, internally, one of the huge things that you have to accomplish in any police department is gaining the trust of the employees who are there. Uh, my understanding about Robert is that he is uh, very easy to talk to, very quick uh, to form friendships, and that he is, he, that they say he's just a great guy. In the community here, the it, it, we always talk about how Napa is a relationship-based community. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're... Um, if you don't know them, you're related to them, and that's the way that a lot of things are done around here. So he is going to have to figure out really quick how to get to know different people and establish relationships and gain that trust. He's very fortunate to have the the administration that's still going to be there, the two captains, the three lieutenants, the comm manager, and the records manager who are going to be able to really help him get in touch with the right people. Uh, start forging those uh, tight bonds, and then build from there. So, I, you know, it's it, it, anytime you step in uh, and take over, even when I took over for Rich and I worked for him for over uh, 10 years, was there, there's a change and there's anxiety that comes along with it. But the truth of the matter is, is it's all good and it all works out. And Rich out. had come here from, I think, New Mexico. New I mean, Mexico, yeah. A newcomer as well. Yeah. So, and he, he formed a lot of relationships in a pretty big hurry too. So, um, and my understanding of Robert is he's as smart as Rich is. So that, uh, so we went from smart to blue collar to smart again. So (laughs) what are you going to do next? Do you know? So I, I have not decided yet. I have some offers that are out there and some discussions that have taken place. My focus is to finish strong with what I'm doing. I have worked with people in the past who have basically uh, retired early, but they stayed at work. I don't want to do that. I see that the community has a lot of needs, and, and I, I, w- I, just, I couldn't handle it if I abandoned the community. So I want to hand it over uh, on a good note. Well, one of the things that certainly seems like it's going to change going forward is uh, perhaps a new police headquarters, a new building, a new... Uh New facilities. There's a lot of talk about the Civic Center with the police department built into it, yeah. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about being part of the same facility as uh, city government? Personally, I think it's very healthy for the administration of the police department to be accessible and to interact closely with the rest of the department heads and management of the city. We're, we're all one team, and we all either we all succeed together or we all fail together. So I think that co-locating makes a lot of sense. The equipment that we have, the confidential information that we have, and some of the other things that uh, processes that we have, the the line level really needs to have a, a controlled access to the rest of the building so that you don't have people walking through in areas right. that they shouldn't or um, anyway so so for them i think that there needs to be secure but I, I really believe that it's okay to put them all in the same building you wound up as sort of interim city manager while uh, mike parness was uh, ill is that some kind of job or some kind of area that that you're interested in in the future i i would consider that yeah i uh I always I need to do something different for my brain is why I'm leaving police work, and I found that to be very interesting and a lot of fun. And it was, I mean it was to no degree uh, what Mike was doing, and but uh, it is 
it is an interest here somewhere else so one fun thing I want to talk to you about uh, while we still have you here, because I had sent you a note about this, which is what uh, sort of precipitated our conversation. There was a story recently about uh, some communities that want to ban scanners, citizens being able to listen to scanners yeah. so that they don't know what's going on. And I know there were some issues about this, even with respect to uh, the incident that happened recently at the veterans' home, that people were getting information over the scanner and things that uh, necessarily shouldn't have gotten out, at least at that particular point in time? So they're public airways, and with that, people have the ability to and the right to listen to what's going on. Uh, It presents some challenges, and let's take it from the personal level. If there's a call for service at your house, and that information is put out over the public airways, and the scanner group is listening, and there are some diehard scanner uh, listeners out there. And but, we should mention, let me interrupt you for half a second, that you don't have to have a scanner to listen anymore. There are websites, one in particular, where you can listen to scanners all over the country. Yes, all, all over. Big cities here, wherever you want. Uh, but as the dispatchers are giving the information to the responding officers or deputies, and or the deputies, officers are, are giving information to the dispatchers, how much of that that could be personal if it's mental health related is that something that ought to be out in the public for other people to hear if there's health issues is that hipaa or should it be hipaa protected so there's those considerations that uh, should be i think need to be taken into consideration but at this point anything that's put out there on the airways is free for people to hear Another challenge that we see, and we saw this, if you remember, several years ago, there was a robbery down at one of the banks right on, um, like, Cabot Way in in River Park Shopping Mm -hmm. Center. And it came out here to Napa Valley College, and there was a lockdown on the campus. And there was so much information that was leaving the campus here by cell phones and friends that were being contacted uh, that it, it... creates a logistical nightmare for us as far as staffing. So you take that as the example and then you apply it over to say the high school or to a middle school or to an elementary school when there's an incident that is reported there that goes out in the, uh, I'll call it the scanner sphere, it goes out there in the world, then different parents are contacting each other or relatives and your kid goes to the school and this is going on, the natural instinct for parents is to protect their children. So what used to be a deployment to contain the suspects on the campus, now you have to look both directions. You have to look inward and outward Mm. because you have parents who are showing up who want their, their child to be safe. We totally understand that, but the uh, but it creates an, another set of challenges for us so i believe that although that information is out there in the world you the law enforcement should have the ability to either encrypt or to go to a private channel when there's a significant event that's taking place um, 
the last thing you want is your hostage taker to know where all your resources are being deployed so that they can either plan an escape or take some other action against them. So uh, there are security measures that really ought to be put in place. But as far as listening on a day-to-day basis. Well, part of it is also that it's so much easier to listen. We were talking about that there are websites, which means if you're a perpetrator of a crime or a hostage taker, you can be listening on your cell phone. It's not like you need a scanner with you. Throughout my career, it was not uncommon to find a burglar or a robber who had a scanner with them, who was listening to where the police so were at. Uh, and sometimes they would uh, do, I think they call them spoof calls now, but they would call in an incident at one end of town, oh. and then when they heard the, the officers responding that direction, then they would do their, they would do their crime at the other end. And anyway. You were talking about the lockdown before. It's, it's a sad commentary on our times, but I've got to ask you, what interface is there and what planning goes on? between your department and NVUSD with respect to potential incidents at schools? So we, we do a lot of interaction, and Patrick has been very good. Patrick Sweeney has been very good about uh, supporting that the uh, those trainings and the discussions. Uh, every school has a site plan, and in that is uh, emergency situations. Then we were asked to come onto campus, and we've—I believe—we're done now. But we were real close to finished a couple weeks ago with training each uh, school staff of what to expect and what is going to happen if there's an active shooter at their location. And then the other was very well supported by the district. Also, is about six or nine months ago we did a. an active shooter training up at the district auditorium. Hmm. Now, the sad part of that was only about 12 people showed up. So hmm. trying to get the, the getting the, the community to be engaged before the incident happens is always a challenge for all of us. But a lot of talk with the district, very supported by the district in uh, putting the information out. And, and it's expanded out. It's in churches. It's in private uh, businesses. It's in your hospitals. Everybody is is asking for that type of training and, and awareness of what to do if those situations take place. On the personal side, not necessarily with respect to law enforcement, but talk a little bit about how you've personally seen and, and responded to and, and, and really observed all the changes that have taken place in Napa. Having watched downtown and realizing that at, we used to joke at 5.05 on a weekday, you could fire a cannon down Main Street and you wouldn't hit anything. So the the rebirth of downtown and the activity down there is has been, uh, I've welcomed it. It's very healthy for Napa to have those job opportunities for the residents and for the Uh, and those opportunities to go down there and have a good time. Now, for me, the challenge is, is how do you create the balance where your locals can go down there as well and they can have fun? And I I know that uh, Travis Stanley over at the Chamber has helped organize uh, crawls and other Mm -hmm. events to get locals in Mm -hmm. after the fires and things like that. Uh, Craig Smith has also tried to encourage a lot more, and they're moving some of their – events like is it the blues brews and barbecue they're going to put that back on the surface streets instead of over at the oxbow commons to try to get people into locals into downtown so it it's it needed to happen uh it's it's good if you can take the revenues that are generated from that and invest it back into the community and this is 
I'm not a politician, but this is what I believe. Uh, you invest it back in to the community so that your your residents have opportunities, uh, recreational or just mm-hmm. different things that they can get involved in too. Are there needs that you, the department has still that if more revenue would help or things that haven't happened yet, things you'd like to see? We've been very supported by the council and the mayor. Uh, Mike Parnes has been supportive. There are, at some point, we're going to need to increase staffing. It's very expensive uh, with the retirements and the, the wage and benefit package, but uh, it, it's going to need to be done. One of our biggest challenges in Napa that I face are the complaints about traffic. And the way the city's laid out, the uh, and the way traffic flows around here presents a challenge because people always want to find an alternate route. Uh, you put three stop signs on Main Street uh, down by Napa Street, and the next thing you know, Brown Street is impacted because everybody's driving up and down Brown Street. So we have three officers who do traffic enforcement now. That are, that's an area that's going to need to be bolstered uh, in the future. Then the backside of that's going to be is people are going to get tickets, and they're going to call up and complain about getting tickets. So that's the reality. What can officers do in terms of, of traffic enforcement? I mean, you have a lot of traffic, and you have people that, as you say, they go off Napa Street, they go take Brown Street, and now there are lots of apps out there. I mean, you can go on Waze and find a way to go through a neighborhood to make it two minutes faster. Yeah, it's – what can officers do? Officers can – they can – unfortunately, one officer who makes one car stop is then tied up for 15 or 20 minutes. So – but our beat officers, if they're not responding to calls, they, mm-hmm. they can work uh, traffic enforcement. The motorcycle officers are dedicated to traffic enforcement. So uh, Sierra Avenue, you, we talked about Brown Street. Mm-hmm. That's another one that we heard with the uh, – at a council meeting here recently where – they were talking about putting the extension through on Sierra, and that's already becomes a – when people don't want to turn on Trancas to go to Whole Foods, they go to Sierra, and they come in the back entrance, right. or they use it to get across to Jefferson or to Vintage High School. Right. And so, yeah, we, we're aware of that, and there's there, there's a lot of examples that we're very familiar with, and, and we try the best we can. We use a radar trailer. We work with traffic engineering and public works, and we do enforcement. We use all three approaches to address traffic needs. Mm-hmm. There's just more of it. Nobody's speeding because they can't go fast yeah. enough anymore. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. And then you, you, you've you shifted the traffic pattern, too, with all the activities in downtown, the hotels, the tasting rooms, the restaurants, and the special events. People used to drive right past Napa, and they'd go north up Valley. Now they're coming into downtown Napa, and they're staying there. And so you have a, a mix of vehicle traffic as well as pedestrian traffic. So uh, the, so uh, Ed Moore over at Public Works, he's a very busy man trying to figure all this stuff out. So More traffic calming devices. More Do they work? More traffic calming. A lot of times, yeah. One of the most visible and I think most successful that we've seen are the high-intensity flashing signs at the uh, crosswalks that we put in on Jefferson Street near B. Uh, we have it out at Matt and First Street. We have them down at 3rd and uh, Brown Street and several other areas around town. But those are very popular, and uh, people actually see those and pay attention and slow down. So I have a couple other requests from people who want those in that I'm going to send to Ed later today too. So <laughs> Let's see who gets them and who doesn't. Your last day is when? When are you uh, officially retiring? So my last day will be July 27th. It's 
is that a Friday? Our payroll starts, our pay periods start on a Saturday. And then uh, Robert Plummer will come in on July 28th and take over. So it's kind of a midnight out, midnight in kind of thing. So, yeah, not in the secret uh, of darkness. Right, (laughs) indeed. Yeah. Chief Steve Potter, I thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing some of this with us. Appreciate it. Jeff, it's always been a pleasure, and I always appreciate being able to come in and talk to uh, your listeners and to you about different issues that are going on. And it's incredibly important for a police department to, to have access to a wide variety, wide range of people. So thank you for all you've done over the last many years. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.